Well, this morning we're continuing, we're ending with the battle of guilt and forgiveness. Um, last week, uh, the last few weeks has been a wonderful opportunity to uh, go help out with Anissa's uh, uh, grandmother and also to go on the, the retreat uh, that uh, you heard about last week. It was fun being connected to you via live stream. Uh, that's something I'm definitely not used to, used to having to go find a church and go worship. I'm not used to just being able to flip on the computer and worship with you. So that is, it's very odd and, uh, and it's different. And, but we really enjoyed that because I feel like uh, we're still connected in a way that I'm um, not used to. This morning, we want to go through and finish up this series on pleasing God, and we're going to go right back to Romans and finish up Romans chapter 1. Part of pleasing God is realizing that uh, we're at war with our flesh, right? We talked about our battle with the flesh, the battle with the world. The Pharisees, they chose uh, to deal with that by trying to do all these good things and cover up all the bad things. They thought if they did enough good things, they would cover up uh, their sin and God would say, you're good and that would be great. So it shocked the Pharisees when Jesus came and pronounced them unclean and called them dogs and evil, you know, vipers and, and called them all of these things and and because they thought they were righteous. And they, you know, he's like, no, you need to have the righteousness that comes from God, not your own righteousness, because there is none righteous, no, not one. And so there's this great struggle with uh, being good or feeling good and, and all of this, which leads to what we're talking about today. And that is the reality that we're all under God's wrath unless we have victory through what Christ did on the cross. We have that relationship with Christ, and we realize what he did for us. But we have this battle that ultimately culminates with guilt and forgiveness. Maybe you struggle with the feelings of guilt, um, and you don't realize that you're dealing with guilt. Maybe you don't, you're struggling with, basically, with forgiveness, that you don't want to forgive, or you don't want to forgive yourself because of the feelings that you're dealing with. A lot of times people do that. They beat on themselves and they beat themselves up because of what's going on in their life. They feel like that makes them better. That'll make them feel better. And, and you can do that, but it doesn't get you anywhere. There's this battle that we're going through with guilt. In fact, if you look at the modern, uh, modern psychological science they will tell you that one in four, one in four is dealing with some form of guilt. And they say this, the guilt complex can also lead to the feelings of anxiety, depression, stress, including loss of sleep, loss of interest, fatigue, difficulty, concentrating, and social withdrawal. And what's amazing is, is as I was reading through, and, and we had to study the medical journal dealing with a lot of this, uh, going through uh, biblical counseling and stuff, when we looked at this, the modern psychologists, all they do is they treat the symptoms, but they never treat what is going on in the heart in dealing with the guilt itself. You'll see a lot of times people talk about, we need to get rid of this feeling of guilt. I need to get rid of this. They need to get rid of whatever they're feeling, but they don't actually deal with the very nature of guilt. And that's what we want to talk about today is, is dealing with that. How do we deal with that? And so uh, you'll see that we repeat ourselves uh, a couple of times. Um, what I'm going to read to you is in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and in verses 9 through 12. And then we're going to go back to Psalm 38. So we're going to go back and forth talking about guilt, the feelings of guilt. And then we're going to talk about dealing with it in forgiveness. So let's pray. Lord, I pray that as we read your word and as we talk about dealing with guilt, you knew that this was going to be a real issue. 
you knew that we were going to struggle, that this would be a real battle. As we look at pleasing you and what pleases you, that, Lord, that you would give us victory over this battle and that we would see what you really desire. May we really see this relationship that pleases you, that you desire for us to have with you. And I pray that as we read your word, that it would be revealed uh, to us this morning. That we wouldn't just deal with the symptoms, but that we would deal with the real issue at hand. And that we wouldn't minimize it or overlook it. Help us, I pray, not to find wisdom just in this world, but Lord, ultimately to find your wisdom. Because Lord, you created us. And so Lord... Because you are the creator, may we find instruction that encourages our heart and our mind through Christ Jesus this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul, by the way, had been confronting the church of Corinth. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 1. By the way, just as many of you, have you ever been confronted by somebody when they said, Uh, you're a sinner, you're doing sinful things, you're not doing what's right. Have you ever been confronted? Um, If you're married, that might happen more than you like. Uh, And you know what I'm talking about. That never happens, right? In relationships, especially close relationships. Well, Paul is confronting the church in Corinth, and they didn't like it. In fact, they were upset. They were grieved by it, and it bothered them. And there was this uh, interlude in between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And now Paul writes back, and all of a sudden you see that there's a difference in which he is writing. There's a little bit more joy involved. There's a little bit more excitement. Something has happened. We see part of that in the fact that he talks about it in verse 9. And about talking about, well, let's read verse 8. It says, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, talking about the first letter, I did not regret it. Now, like Paul, he says, I know that my letter bothered you. It grieved you, but I'm not going to apologize for it, (laughs) right? Sometimes that happens, right? Some people say, yeah, I know that what I wrote you and confronted you about bothered you, but I'm not going to change what I wrote. That's kind of what he's saying. He says, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you through only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that whether you, that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas God, or worldly grief produces death. For we see that earnestness, this godly grief has produced in you. But also what eagerness to clear yourself, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you were proved yourself innocent in the matter. It's pretty amazing. He goes on to basically say their mentality had shifted. They were truly grieved, but it was a godly grief because they realized they were guilty. And because of that grief, it led them to repent. It led them to a change of mind, which led them to a change in their faith and the way that they looked at things. It gave them a new eagerness. It produced something in their life. That's what really pleases God. God doesn't want us to go through life just grieved and feeling grief and feeling sorry, feeling anxiety, feeling depression, feeling all of those things. He doesn't want us to have a worldly grief that leads to a loss of production in our life or death. He wants us to be led to a relationship with him. God doesn't want us to do that. He wants us What we've studied already, he wants us to live every day before the fear of God or the face of God, to to long to be in God's presence. You know, it's funny when we're guilty of something, we don't like to be in the presence of someone when we feel guilty. In fact, we remove ourselves. 
But what God desires is for us to have his righteousness, to be filled with his righteousness, to, to see what God says is good and to long for that. To, he shows us what his goodness is, and he wants us to enjoy that goodness, not to produce our own goodness. He got also what pleases God is God desires us to be transformed, having his identity and purpose, not to be to be produced and molded into what the world says is good, but to enjoy and be a part of the family of God, that his identity that he created for us. God desires for us to, to yield and to be led by the Spirit. He wants us to, be, to submit to him, to long for him, to be led by his Spirit, not to be led by the culture. And that's really what happened to a lot of religious people, a lot of the Pharisees we see in the Bible, a lot of the Israelites that we see in the Old Testament. They, were, they, were, they produced their own righteousness and they were led by their own religious things and they lost this relationship with the Lord and they stopped pleasing the Lord and they constantly were dealing with guilt, so much so that they kept adding more and more rules. So this was the idea. If I do more good things, it'll get rid of my guilt. That sounds familiar. That's what we see today. And if you can't remove the guilt, guess what you do? You redefine it. Right? I'm going to redefine how, why I feel guilty and the, all the feelings, and I'm going to change them. What really pleases God is this. God desires us to run to him with repentance and forgiveness. Run to him with repentance and to seek his forgiveness. That's what he longs for. It's like the dad that says, that opens up. He doesn't want to come home and hear mom say, your son did this, 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 and this, right? That's not what a dad wants. A dad wants the son to run down the road and meet him before the mom has anything to say and says, I really messed up today, and I did this, and I caused mom a lot of grief. A dad wants to hear that, and a dad wants to be able to hug his son and say, well, let's see how we can fix that together. Let me help you. Let me teach you. Let me hug you and hold you. Let me help you through this. That's what God desires of us. But many times, because of our guilt, we're battling with guilt and we're battling with all sorts of different emotions and feelings. We see God and we see God's holiness and his righteousness, all of his goodness, and we run from him. And we're being every day found guilty because of some sin and problems we're facing. And we don't do that. But God is pleased when we run to him. It pleases him dearly. Let's define some of the things that we're talking about. Well, what is guilt? Well, literally in the Hebrew and also in the Greek, it means a legal liability or culpability that leads to punishment. You're culpable. You're liable, right? That's like when somebody, uh, you don't do something you're supposed to do, right? And somebody sues you because you didn't uphold your end of the bargain and you go to court and you're found guilty and you found liable. You do owe something. And so when we do, when we sin, we miss the mark. We don't please God and we are held liable before a holy and righteous God. And we are found liable. We're culpable for the things we choose to do. When we say, God, I like what I like better than you, and I'm going to do whatever I want. I don't care what you say, and I'm going to do it anyway. We're held liable for that decision. There's a difference, though. I want you to, you can write this down. There's the fact of guilt, that is the actual guilt itself, and then there's the feelings of guilt. The term guilty or being held liable for a decision of sin is the fact of guilt. But many times there's consequences when guilt isn't taken care of that leads to feelings of guilt. 
Let me tell you, there's negative feelings that are associated many times with guilt. But a lot of times, uh, we don't feel guilty, right? When it, the, 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 you go down the road and you're driving and it says 35 uh, or it says 15 mile an hour zone and you say, that doesn't matter, I'm going to go 35 anyway, you don't feel guilty because you don't feel like you've broke any rule or any law and you don't feel held liable to the 15, you know, if it's yellow, it's just a suggestion anyway, so who cares, right? Until you get run off the road because you, you went too fast. Uh, I, I say that because I've been there. <laughs> but, right? So here's the thing. There's the fact of guilt, and then there's the feeling of guilt. We're dealing with the guilt itself. Then there's repentance. When we talk about repentance, this is what God means, and this is what we're talking about. It's a change of one's mind, which includes a complete change of heart. Repentance doesn't mean, oh, I'm, I've been caught. I'm sorry. But I really still believe I can drive, you know, 80 miles an hour. It doesn't matter. I'm going to pay the ticket. Yep, I paid the fine. Now I'm going to keep driving 80 miles an hour. And I'll never forget when my friend got pulled over. He was driving through Montana. And back then, there was, uh, the, there was no speed limit. It, was, it said reasonable and prudent. And he was riding on a brand new motorcycle. And he thought reasonable and prudent meant 120 miles an hour. He passed a police officer and he didn't even give it any care or concern because there was no posted speed limit. Three towns later, the police officer met him at the gas station. And he says, I'm giving you a ticket. And he goes, you know, it took him three towns to catch up to him. And he said, and he goes, but I'm not liable because there's no posted speed limit. And it just says reasonable and prudent. And he says, well, there is a law that's, there's a law of waste and you're wasting gas and you're held liable for wasting gas. And he got a ticket for wasting gas by going too fast. <laughs> and he was just like, they'll catch you coming and going. <laughs> but he paid it and, and kept driving 120 miles an hour. He didn't feel any form of guilt and it, he didn't change his mind. But repentance literally means a change of mind, a change of attitude, a change of entrance, change of direction. It's to go 180. It's to say, I know that I have sinned, I have displeased God, and now I'm going to go this way, and I'm not going to do that anymore. That's really what a repentance means. Then there's forgiveness. Forgiveness refers to the remission or canceling of debt. The remission or canceling of debt or a release of an obligation. And a lot of times we jump to this forgiveness. Lord, I want forgiveness. Please forgive me. But we still haven't repented. We still basically say, I'm going to do what I want to do and I don't care what the consequences are. And we're like, why don't I feel forgiven? Well, a lot of times it's because there is no change of one's mind or change of heart or change of attitude or change of interest. And you're dealing with guilt and forgiveness still. You're still battling it in your life. St. Augustine wrote and he said, repentance tears out or washes out the stain of guilt. He was saying it literally tears out the guilt. It washes out the guilt. It's like when you have a tumor in your life and, and, you're, and you know it's got to be removed, and you just, it's got to be ripped out. And the way that guilt is ripped out of our life, he says, St. Augustine says, is through repentance. So dealing with guilt is dealing with the effects of sin. Guilt is common because sin affects all. Guilt is universal. It affects everybody. Right? There, none of you are unstained with guilt because Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. We are not holy. We're all sinners. We all, because of that, we all have and are been found guilty. That is a fact. That's not just a feeling. 
That is the fact. So we have to deal with that sin. The other thing in dealing with guilt is that guilt is serious because God is holy. God is separate from sin. He is separate from all things. He is holy. Therefore, that's why guilt, dealing with guilt, causes so many problems in our life. The lack of dealing with guilt causes a lot of problems in our life. And we struggle. We feel bad or we self-loathe or we're not interested in spending time with people because of who God is. A lot of times people struggle with going to church because God is holy and they are meet up with that holiness when they come to church because we're worshiping a holy God and we're declaring that he is above all things and we don't like that because we feel guilty, right? I don't know about you, but you, do you like going into the presence of something and you all of a sudden feel like you're not good? Like, do you like going, how about when you go into a, front, into a room full of professional, you know, people? Like, you know, like, I want to learn to build a bridge. And you go into a bunch of, with a bunch of engineers, and they're spouting off all these technical things. And I'm like, I just want to put two big beams down and put a bunch of boards across. That's all I want to do. How do I best do that, right? But they're going to tell me all the angles, all the force, all the physics. And they make you, and you, all of a sudden you realize, I am dumb. <laughs> and they're telling me all the things in which my plan's going to fail, but I don't even understand how I'm going to fail, right? And you just don't, you feel so small, and you're just like, I don't like it. Well, when we come in, when we read scripture, and we realize how great God is, we feel so worthless and horrible, and we realize I'm guilty, and we don't like that. But that's why guilt is dealing with guilt and guilt is serious we got to deal with it in dealing with guilt we we need to never minimize the facts of guilt never minimize and that's a very serious problem we see going on today is there is a minimization of guilt today we're like we're gonna change the definitions of different things in order to minimize the fact of guilt we see that happening all all over today. That's the way our world tends to deal with guilt, is minimizing it. We're going to minimize it. That's why when we talk about dealing with guilt or we deal with things, is a lot of times people really struggle in their walk with God and their relationship because the world overtakes everything. And it makes the good news of what God has done for you so small. And the world seems to just be flooding and, and just devouring you and struggling because we tend to minimize guilt. And when we minimize guilt, guess what we do? We minimize God's holiness and how big God is. But when we magnify God's holiness, he, did, he also grows the ability to deal with the guilt in our life, which grows the effects of the cross, which blots out the effects of the world. And we get to enjoy, the cross gets so big in our life that we enjoy a free, a freedom from the world and the relationship is so beautiful, filled with joy and peace. We can't minimize it. The other thing is, is when dealing with guilt is guilt will remain even if you explain it away. That's big today in our culture, whether it's with with dealing with our cultural aspects of racism or cultural aspects of sexuality, all these different, they, they try to redefine it. We're going to change what God created and we're going to redefine it so we can create something completely different. And if we create something that's completely different, then it'll, then it'll we'll explain away the effects of those feelings so then that way we're no longer guilty but it, doesn't, it does not help at all. It, if we feel like, if we can just lessen the effects of guilt, then it'll be okay. But you know what? The root, the fact of guilt still remains. Have you ever tried to pull a, 
a weed. There are nice weeds, and there are weeds I, I, that sin created. I know it. <laughs> we know it because Adam and Eve sinned, and then they, he, Adam had to pull weeds the rest of his life. Right? But here's the thing. I mean, you, you pull that weed, right? And the nice weed, it just comes up. That one single root, it just comes out. And you have those stupid weeds you pull up, and it's, and it's like you keep pulling, and there's roots everywhere. And you find that it travels like eight feet clear across your garden. I hate those weeds. You pull the one weed, and it just keeps growing because the root is like 20 feet away. That's what the world does. They try to, you know, just like, I'm just going to take all the top weeds away, but the roots still remain, and it keeps growing. And it drives you crazy, right? It's insanity. Uh, you know what we do? We, we, that's why when we are at Great Grandma's, we, bought, we went and we rented an excavator so we could destroy the roots of these trees that she had because it went for miles. <laughs> and we had the only way we could get rid of that was we dug them all up until we got to the heart. And we got this big, giant root ball that was like this, but it traveled like it traveled some 20 feet to another tree and they had another huge root ball and it just so if you cut the tops off it just would keep growing and drive you nuts grandma's like i don't want those anymore we have to deal with guilt we can't just cut the tops off and explain it away this is what we need to do is kill guilt through repentance and forgiveness we need to repent and we need to seek forgiveness. Here's what happens. We read in the text, we read Psalm 38 together. And look at what happened. Verse 2, you see this internal pain. The, the, the arrows that God threw, the arrows of his guilt, right? It was seeping down in. He had this internal pain. O oh Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath, for your arrows have sunk into me. It's internal pain. You also see, he says, and then take your hand away from me. David had been hiding and unconcealed. He had concealed his sin, and now he's revealing it, and he's saying, look at my sin, and he's opening it up. And he's saying, look, unresolved sin. This is what my life was like when I did not seek forgiveness for my sin. He had internal pain. You remember after his, he committed adultery with Bathsheba, he just kind of, he was like, I'm going to conceal it, right? I'm going to, I'm going to go send out her husband and I'm going to explain it away by having him in the front lines and then Everybody's going to retreat, and I know that he's going to die. Right? And people are like, oh, well, he didn't really commit murder. Oh, yeah, he put a lot of thought into it. He knew exactly what was going to happen. And then he was going to call in Bathsheba and say, oh, this poor grieving widow, I'm going to make her mine, and then that's going to explain away the baby. Right? And he went on for a while. He went on and on until... He was confronted with this sin. It caused, when he did this, it caused pain and pressure, physical illness, heavy burdens, increased circumstances, daily sadness. The same word that where we get the word depression. A sense of weakness, loss of caring, you know, the apathy bug. Inward agitation, heart palpitations, Right? Sadness in our eyes, isolation, threats, sorrow. By the way, in verse 17, that sorrow is the word for anxiety. Well, 17 and 18. Anxiety itself with the sorrow that leads to anxiety. All of these things because he tried to cover up his guilt. We have a battle to deal with guilt. Praise the Lord that God has given us victory, right? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. We, he knew we could not 
we could not pull up enough weeds. We would never be able to root out the problem. So he sent the Lord. He sent Christ to die for our sins. To bridge that gap. To give, so that way he would take our sin and he would replace it with his righteousness. Because we could never be good enough. We, can ne- we would never be free from guilt unless he did a transplant. And so he did that. There's a problem. Is, is that many times when dealing with forgiveness and seeking forgiveness, you know you've heard the term forgive and forget. Now, we see that in Psalms because God says, I'll throw your sin far from me, you know, for as far as the east is from the west, and remember it no more. So who does the forgetting? Yeah. He doesn't wipe your memory. Right? Forgiveness is not like this drug that just, you know, wipes your memory. You'll never, you'll never remember it. It's not like, you know, you, you, the doctor puts you asleep and you don't remember what they did to you. Right? That, you know, that's the best thing about surgery is, is that I have a problem. The doctor knocks me out because I don't want to remember the pain. And guess what? Even after you wake up, you start to remember the pain. That's why you have, they give you pain meds, right? To help you get along. It, God does not hold our sin against us anymore. That doesn't mean you forget it. But God helps you deal with it. God how do we deal with that? How do, we, how do you turn pain and sorrow into godly sorrow? Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 gives us some insight. I deal with this a lot when we deal with counseling. I find that a lot of people are holding on to guilty feelings, feelings even though they've repented, they've turned from their sin, they've asked for forgiveness or they've asked somebody forgiveness, they still are holding on to the feelings of guilt. And yet God has forgiven them and they don't have that guilt. But how do we either turn from our guilt, you know that you've sinned, and how do we turn from that pain and sorrow? Or how do we turn from the feelings of guilt that you've been holding on to? Well, look vertically first. Look vertically. For godly grief produces something different than worldly grief. There is something in what God is doing and has done for you that is grander and greater than anything that the world can do. The God produces, God or the world destroys. God fixes what we break and Satan distracts you So that way you don't get better. We have to look vertically first. Maybe you've gone through something in your life and you're struggling and you still are feeling guilty over something. Or you feel the pain of guilt because of something somebody has done to you and you still are struggling with some of these feelings of pain and sorrow. Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says then is if you've been raised with Christ then seek the things that are above seek God it says where Christ is seated at the right hand of God set your mind on the things that are above that's a continual action continually put your mind there where Christ is not just anywhere but on what Christ did for you the victory he won keep going back to what he did for you First, you wake up and, or you go to bed. You know, most of the time when we're feeling guilty or we're feeling the pain and sorrow and the grief that's associated with guilt and we're dealing with that and usually it's at night, go back to the gospel. Go back to what he did for you. There are so many things that we can quickly that we experience day to day that provoke our memory. And all of a sudden, it's like, you know what I'm talking about. Something happens today, they call it triggered. I hate that word. I like, 
I like the trigger when I go hunting. I don't like the trigger when people are like, oh, I've been, I, you triggered me. I'm like, but you know, there are, op, there are things in our life when we are provoked and a memory pops up and we don't like the memory. What are you going to do? Our minds can immediately go back to some painful things or events in our life. In God's grace, however, if we go to him, God can remind you what he did to give you victory over that. God reminds me of his faithfulness during those times in life that, hey, I'm now, I'm not living there anymore. Even though that memory popped up, I am no longer there. Look at what he's done in my life. I don't have to go back and give victory to the past. I can go forward and say, this is what God is doing. The painful memory quickly becomes a point of praise and gratitude and say, thank you, Lord, for what you've done. When you look to him first in that moment, you can give him glory. The other thing that we learn is, is that you bring your sorrow alongside Christ's suffering. Romans 8.17 says this, And if we are children, then we are heirs. Of course, he's talking about being adopted into the family of God because of the work that Jesus did on the cross when he died for our sins. And he paid what we could not pay. We've been adopted, purchased by the blood of Christ. It says, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, providing we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Hey, there's an amazing thing. When our old or current grief comes and we remember it and we realize that we have grief because of something we did or something that has happened and we have grief, the tendency is to remember the hurt as if we are alone and we think that, oh, we're by ourselves. And we put ourselves on an island. But the reality is, is we can come alongside with Christ and remember that he suffered for the very thing that we need payment for, our sin. He suffered in your place. So we don't have to experience that suffering alone. We are not alone. We have a Savior who loved us enough to die on the cross for our sins. Your story of pain and suffering becomes his story of redemption. And when it's a story of redemption, it becomes a story of glory. The other thing, too, is, is be teachable and get direction from the Lord. How do we turn pain and sorrow into godly sorrow? A sorrow that we see here in, in 2 Corinthians 7 is, is be teachable and get direction from the Lord. We saw that in the Corinthians. They, they stopped looking at what they wanted to do. They changed their mind, their heart, and their attitude, and they began to see who God is, and it began to produce different fruit. Be teachable. I like what David said in Psalm 25. Here's a man after God's own heart. Here's a man who, who sinned, who committed adultery, who murdered somebody. I mean, did also overlook different sins within his own family. He did all of these different things, and yet God loved him greatly. But in Psalm 25, verse 4 and 5, he says, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. When you're dealing with the pain of sorrow and grief and you're dealing with the guilty feelings, do you want to be teachable? Or do you just want to hide it? Do you want to know what God is doing in your life? What he's trying to teach you? Or do you want to just at all costs, just get rid of whatever the pain and the sorrow. I love the contrast in Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is just is so amazing when it talks about the effect that God's word has on our life. Here's just a couple of verses. You could spend 
We could spend hours here. But Psalm 119, verse 29 says, Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. When we learn God's law, when we allow God to teach us, it it puts false ways far from us, including false feelings, false feelings of guilt, false emotions. When, When you know that God has forgiven you, but yet you still haven't forgiven yourself. How can you get rid of those feelings? Well, are you wanting God to teach you and to lead you? Psalm 68, uh, 119, 68 says, You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. We realize how good he is. I like Psalm 130, uh, 119, 135. Yes, there's 135 verses in Psalm 119. One of these days we'll teach on Psalm 119. It might take us a year, but we'll get through it. <laughs> it says, make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. When we want God to teach us, we allow God's face to shine down on our life. That's a beautiful relationship. When God face shines upon our life when he exposes not just who we are but we exposes his goodness we are to look to the lord for forgiveness of our sins the glorious gospel propels us into the worlds as agents of grace when we become teachable and this is what happens worship god why worship the the painful feelings, why not run to God and be teachable? Let him teach you so you can repent and seek forgiveness and be free of the guilt and the emotions that come with it. Worship, and we begin to worship God because we see how beautiful he truly is. Instead of the holiness that he is, hurts us because we're guilty. Now, that separation that we have because of our sin and the wrongdoing in our life, now he, because of his great love in which he loved us, he has taught us and he brings us back into this beautiful fellowship in which now we are telling him how great he is and we're worshiping him. You know, it's amazing. As you look at Philippians Philippians is about, you talk about joy, and if you are dealing with the lack of peace and joy in your life, Philippians is great. And it's the book of joy, but it's really the book of the gospel. Paul is writing, it's actually the main theme is the effects of the gospel in your life. What happens when you live by the gospel every day and you worship God? In fact, I mean, in every chapter, he talks about worshiping the Lord based on the gospel of Christ. I mean, that's what he says when he says, rejoice in the Lord. It's talking about worshiping the Lord, not your circumstances. And he talks about it over and over and over again. If we truly worship the Lord, it disarms the feelings of guilt. When we worship ourselves, guess what? It magnifies the feelings of guilt. When we worship other people, it magnifies the worship of guilt. When we worship God, we allow God to remove those feelings of guilt. This is what we see in verse 10. It says in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10, it says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. Repentance leads to strengthening one's faith. You know, a lot of times we're struggling in our walk with God. We're struggling with our relationship with God. And many times it's because of a lack of repentance or a lack of changing our attitude when it comes to the things of this world. We long more for the world than we do for the holiness of God. The more that we long for the holiness of God, the more, the deeper the roots of the cross grow into your life and overshadow the effects of the world.
Repentance leads to strengthening one's faith. Glad We are glad to have sin uncovered and dealt with rather than be resentful. Did you notice that? It leads to salvation without regret. When we open up and we're honest before God and we reveal our sin, there's no regret. We're not resentful. There's no regret when we are repentant towards God. He strengthens our walk, our relationship with him. True repentance, by the way, changes. It changes us. True repentance follows after God. It says here, it leads to salvation without regret, whereas godly grief produces death. When we worship him and we seek repentance to change our mind and our attitude and we see God in all of his glory and we say, I need to repent and we deal with our guilt, the true repentance, it changes the direction that we're going and it changes, it, it follows after God, not after the world. And it also creates an earnestness, an eagerness, a diligence to deal with one's sin. We no longer, you ever, somebody that's trying to hide sin, have you ever seen that? They fidget. You know, when you know that somebody's lying to you, do they like to look into your eye? Right? If they're trying to pull the wool over you, right, they struggle to look at you. They change their story, they there's, there's no eagerness. The more you bring up something, you're like, hey, what, what, what happened here? Oh, and they, they want to leave, right? They want to change the story. There's no eagerness to talk about what's right there. They struggle. Those that are dealing with the pain in their marriage, they really want to talk about their marriage. There's no eagerness, right? If, they, if they're feeling guilty or dealing with stuff and they're like, man, this struggles, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to talk about it. But when we repent and we deal with our guilt, there's this eagerness and like, because I know that my father is going to hold me. I know that God is going to remove the guilt from my life. That's what Paul's talking about here. There's this joy and eagerness. He says, for See what eagerness this godly grief has produced in you. This earnestness, this true feeling, no longer false feeling, but now there's this true feeling of dealing with your sin. And the repentance, it leads to this. And verse 11, there's evidence of release. Verse 11 says, right, there's this release and he says, at every point you have proved yourself innocent in the matter. You're no longer guilty. You're innocent. There's no hiding. There's no minimizing. But there's this eagerness to deal with it. And it shows that there's an evidence that there's a change in your life. God has changed it. In fact... He says, did you notice what he talks about? He says, there's this eagerness to clear yourselves. And he says, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal? Where's the, you know, what punishment? There's this indignation that sin was in their midst. They, know, they hate sin now. They no longer ignore it. You can tell when somebody is no longer guilty because they hate the sin. They no longer, they don't even want any part of it. They're like, that needs to be gone. And they hate it. And there's a fear of God and his displeasure. Uh Millard Erickson, in, in his book, Christian Theology, says this. He says, as repentance is the negative aspect of the conversion, right? When we get saved, when we're saved from our sins, there's this aspect of we need to change. We need to turn. There's, there's sin involved. Turning from one's sin 
So faith is the positive aspect of laying a hold upon the promise in the work of Christ. Faith is the byproduct of what happens when we repent and turn to God. To believers, what someone says to accept a statement as true, personal trust as distinct from mere credence or belief. There's this personal trust. I know what God has done. I know where I stand. So I run to him. It's not just, oh yeah, I, 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 I think about this or I, I know that there's the knowledge of this, but it's a personal relationship and belief. Wayne Grudem put it this way. He said, faith is the one's attitude of heart that is, is the exact opposite of depending on ourselves. That's the battle we face with guilt. Are you depending on yourself to deal with the guilt? Or are you turning to the Lord to deal with it? 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some of you know that. But do you trust that God is faithful? Sometimes you hide your sin and you're still hiding your sin. You're struggling to believe that God is faithful to remove your sin. There's a worldly sorrow. I put it in your notes. There's an illustration of that. Esau, he was sorry for giving away his birthright because he felt the effects of it. But he didn't turn to God. In fact, he became part of the Arab nation that continued to this day, still is fighting over that birthright. There's Pharaoh who hardened his heart and never repented. He was sorrow at the, for losing his firstborn, but never turned to the Lord. It led to his death. He had King Saul who wanted to be king and wanted to lead and thought he loved the Lord and he was sorry for his sin and still yet died apart from God. He had the nation of Israel, right? Constantly, yes, I have sinned against you. I have sinned, O Lord, and then only to sin again and be mad at God. Why did you bring us out into this desert? We could be back in Egypt, you know, but they cried to God, you know. The nation of Israel, you look at Joel and Malachi, they were not happy with God and God was not happy with them. Judas, right? He was with Christ every day for three and a half years. And he was sorry for the 30 pieces of silver. He had great grief. And what happened? He went out and hung himself. We see people doing that every single day. These are all examples of worldly sorrow. But then look at godly sorrow. King David. Murderer, adulterer, sinner, hid his sin until he didn't hide his sin and he ran to God. And God forgave him, took away his guilt. The prodigal son, right? Came running back and said, I don't even deserve to be your son. I don't even deserve to be your hired servant. Threw his, threw, ran and threw himself at the mercy of his dad. And yet, what did his dad do? Come here. Let me put a robe. Let me give you the ring of authority. Let me kill the fatted calf. Let's have a great celebration. Because you are home. You are repentant. Your grief has led you back to me. The apostle Peter. Here you had Judas who denied, right? Judas denied Christ. Peter denies Christ. But there's a big difference, isn't it? He went home and wept. Can you imagine he denied Christ and he, he ran out from God's presence weeping because he knew what he did. And remember when Mary and the ladies met Jesus and he said, go tell Peter to come and see me. Can you imagine what Peter, how, if you denied somebody, would you want to go back to the presence 
But to know that his Savior wanted him back because he had godly grief. How about the thief on the cross? Man, he rebuked the other thief that was ridiculing Jesus. I mean, can you imagine the hardness of heart to be on the cross dying because you are an insurrectionist against Rome and you're sitting there ridiculing Jesus, right? And then the other thief on the cross is saying, sitting there going, what are you doing? Don't you know that this very night your soul is going to be required of you? And he looks and he pleads to Jesus and he says, well, you know, will you forgive me? Will you take me with you? And Jesus says, you will be with me this very night. Do you see the godly grief that led him to repentance? Do you believe if we confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of your sins? He forgave David. He forgave the prodigal son, which is us, by the way. He forgave Peter. He forgave the thief on the cross. He can forgive you of whatever you're hiding, whatever you're dealing with in your life. He can forgive you. We battle with this all the time. Even the feelings, maybe you, you know you're forgiven, but you're still dealing with the effects of it. Run to him. And maybe something that we've read or talked about today will encourage you, but go back to Christ. Run to the gospel. Don't run to your feelings. Run to the gospel. Remember what you have in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we are sinful creatures. We are not good. And because of that, we deal with guilt on a daily basis. You have told us there is none righteous, no, not one. We try to hide our guilt. We try to hide our sin by doing good things. And it produces bad feelings many times because we realize that no matter how, we, how much we hide, it never removes the guilt. No matter how much good we try to do, it does not remove the guilt. But you did that when you died on the cross so that way you would take all of the payment, all of the sin, and you died to make that way to pay for our sin. And then you rose again and conquered death so that way we can be partakers of your righteousness. So then that way, Lord, you did that so way you would see your son's righteousness and no longer see our guiltiness. So, Lord, I pray that maybe someone here has never put their faith and trust in Christ. They've been trying to live for themselves, and they've never turned to you and say, I, Lord, I need you. I am a sinner. I realize that I'm under your wrath. I, I realize that the wages of sin is death. And I realize now that you provided a gift, a payment for my sin Lord, I pray that if someone here realizes that, that they would today, that they would receive that gift and respond to the good news that you have made a way to restore their relationship with you, that they would no longer be under your wrath, be under the guiltiness that's in our life, and that, Lord, you would begin to heal all the different emotions of guilt Lord, even if we are believers, that we've put our faith and trust, and maybe we know that we're saved from our sins, but we've been dealing with guilty feelings or we've been dealing with the sins of others in our life and we've been dealing with pain and sorrow, that we too can, you can change that and you can have power over that. And I pray that we would do that today and turn to you. And Lord, that we would give and allow you to have victory over our life rather than us trying to win a battle that we could never win and enjoy a beautiful, joyful, peaceful relationship with you because we live in a horrific world filled with pain. So Lord, restore our soul in that relationship and the beautifulness of who you are 
and the gift that you've provided for us in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.